The United Soccer Coaches is proud to present the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linky. That's right, the NSCAA is now the United Soccer Coaches. We aren't changing who we are, just what you call us. Start your free, no-risk trial membership today. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join today. We unite coaches at every level of the game around the passion of the game. Now, here's our host, Dean Linky. Dean Linky, delighted to be with you, and I'm delighted that the good folks at United Soccer Coaches let me keep this show current and run with the stories that are making noise right now, particularly in the college soccer scene, and that is indeed the case today. We know and you know we can't bring you these great shows without the support of our corporate partners, and in the case of this podcast, no sponsor is bigger than TeamSnap, our presenting sponsor. So we start today's show with a quick visit from TeamSnap's CGO, their Chief Growth Officer, Ken McDonald. Ken walks us right up to a visit with Rob Kehoe, United Soccer Coaches Director of College Programs, who puts the spotlight on the biggest story of the week, the incredible early season season shakeup in the Division I women's soccer season with the top 10 turning upside down with upsets to Stanford, West Virginia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. Riding that wave, we visit with former Tar Heel and USA Olympic and World Cup champion Tiffany Roberts-Sahedic, who is the head coach of the University of Central Florida and became the first Tar Heel to ever beat her head coach, the legendary Anson Dorrance and UNC. From Tiffany, we head to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and visit with the 21-year head coach of the Wake Forest Demon Deacons women's soccer team, who started his season with a thrilling upset of the South Carolina Gamecocks. That is Wake Forest head coach Tony Deleuze, and he's on the program. Another team undefeated to start this season is Rutgers. Just two years removed from a spot in the College Cup, we welcome Rutgers head coach Mike O'Neill. Now, Mike will be trying yet again to chase down Stephanie Golan and the Minnesota Golden Gophers in Big Ten play. That means he will also have to stop Sidney Squires, who scored four goals against Iowa State last week and had five goals in two games. She is the United Soccer Coaches Women's D1 Player of the Week, and she is on the program. Speaking of great Big Ten players, Kelly Lawrence, by way of England, was a Big Ten first-teamer when she played for Mick Lyon from 2006 to 2010 at Indiana University. She is now a member of the United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30 and in her third year as an assistant coach at Syracuse. She is fiery, she is tough, and she is committed to making her players better. Kelly Lawrence is on the program. And speaking of commitment, you know, we try not to make any mistakes on this show, but sometimes human error does come into play. Now, last week, we kept promising you an interview from Franklin and Marshall men's soccer coach Dan Wagner, who has his team number six in the United Soccer Coaches preseason rankings for D3 men's soccer. Now, we interviewed Coach Wagner last week, but the interview never ran. It will indeed run today, and it is indeed worth the wait. So if you're counting at home, that's a presenting sponsor, a United Soccer Coaches college soccer leader, three coaches who have their team in the women's D1 top 25, the current United Soccer Coaches women's D1 player of the week, another superstar from our 30 under 30 class, and one of the best men's soccer coaches from the D3 level. That's a lot. And it all starts appropriately after this message from Team Snap. 
Still managing your club or league on paper and spreadsheets? Go paperless with TeamSnap. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, they have way fewer paper cuts. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with TeamSnap. Go to TeamSnap.com United. Now, here's your host, Dean Linky. It's only fitting that we follow a great message from Team Snap because, indeed, this is the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by our good friends from Team Snap. And today, we start with the Team Snap CGO, Chief Growth Officer. That's Ken McDonald. He's responsible for getting all the coaches and managers who are still wrangling their teams the old-fashioned way to use Team Snap. Ken uses a variety of tools from paid ads to partnerships to emails, blogs, and social networking to spread the word about the great work Team Snap is doing. Thanks so much for your support of the United Soccer Coaches and this podcast. Well, thanks for having us on the show. I mean, Team Snap was started by a bunch of coaches for coaches solely for the purpose of allowing them to run the teams better. So things like this podcast that are really about improving the quality of coaches and ultimately improving the experience for athletes are really what we are about both at a professional and a personal level. Well, you yourself are a big-time athlete as well, a big triathlon man, a long-distance runner, Ironman, love your background, and now you live in Boulder, Colorado, one of the most beautiful places in the entire country, if not the world. So we're so glad you're with us, and, and a lot of great things happening at Team Snap. but we'll start with that. What's new at Team Snap, Ken? The biggest thing is just the company has continued to evolve and spread its focus. It started really with a focus just on helping individual coaches within over the years spread to helping sports clubs. More recently, we've been doing a lot more to help leagues and people putting on tournaments. So it's just spreading the focus and, again, just trying to make it easy for people to organize so that they can spend the time on the things that matter, like spending time with the athletes. Now, Ken, as the leader of a growing company, and certainly Team Snap is, I feel like uh, we're seeing you guys everywhere. How do you stay ahead of the trends in youth sports and As a follow-up to that, are there any products that you test out with your team? A lot of what we do, and this is a little bit more philosophical about how we run the company, is we try to push the decisions down to very small groups in the company of like half a dozen or fewer people. And then we really try and empower those folks. And a tremendous number of those folks are former or current athletes, Many of them at the collegiate level or higher. Many are coaches. Many are team managers. They're all very connected to sports, so they know the market. One of the areas we we certainly hear a lot about is different recruiting tools. I think that's an area where there's certainly a lot of interest. I mean, as we all know, there's a lot of focus on uh, kids playing sports in college. That's a very active space that we're checking out quite a bit. And how does coaching a team compare to your daily job? And are there parallels that you have carried with you from both sides? So I, I coach basketball. I've uh, coached basketball for something like 15 years now. And the biggest thing that I've learned to carry over from coaching, and I, I will give a shout out to the guys at uh, Positive Coaching Alliance, because a lot of this comes from, from them, but reinforcing what they're doing well. Uh, as opposed to always just pointing out things that are wrong. And I think uh, that carries over really nicely into the, into the work world. Obviously, it's not exactly the same situation, but, you know, if you want to motivate a team to do the best work that they can, you don't want to be that manager who's always just pointing out people's flaws. You want to 
build them up as much as you can, and then when there is something that they need to improve on, have uh, some constructive criticism that doesn't come across as, as cutting them down. We wanted to kick off this show, and indeed it's a big show, folks. we got some superstar coaches on this show following up Ken McDonald with the Team Snap CGO, the Chief Growth Officer, to get to know a little bit better the leaders of Team Snap. Also, salute your entire staff. Brett Rhodes has been fantastic, and other great members of your team. We thank them, and we thank you. With that, a final comment. Uh, obviously, you like the United Soccer Coaches. You're enjoying this podcast. But in 60 seconds, what is the most important thing all of the coaches listening to this should know about Team Snap? The main thing is sort of what I, I started with, which is Team Snap was started by coaches for coaches and people running sports organizations, and it was really around trying to save them time so they could focus on what's most important, which for most of them, it's around working with the athletes. Our goal of allowing people to work with the athletes is both a personal and a professional goal for the company. Ken McDonald, he's an athlete, he's a leader, and he's helping our coaches make their lives easier. The proud sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast, Ken McDonald and Team Snap. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for letting us get to know you a little bit better. Thanks for having me on the show. We really appreciate what you're doing here with the United Soccer Coaches podcast. It's an awesome program. And we had an awesome good time. Can you say that? Awesome good time? I think you can. I just did. With Ken McDonald, the Chief Growth Officer for Team Snap, our presenting sponsor. All right, we're off and rolling. When we come back, we'll be joined by Rob Kehoe the director of college programs to break down an exciting first couple weeks for division one men and women's soccer you won't want to miss it as we lead into visits with some of the top women coaches across the country and how about sydney squires five goals in two games for the minnesota golden gophers and our united soccer coaches player of the week on the women's side she also joins us Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Now, once again, here's Dean. And as promised, we begin with Rob Kehoe, Director of College Programs for the United Soccer Coaches. Rob, good to be with you again. Thank you, Dean. You as well. Yeah, we visited a couple of weeks ago prior to the college season, starting to get a preview of Division I soccer. Now, after two weeks of women's games and the opening weekend for the men, what are your highlights or your surprises? Well, first would be how competitive Division I soccer is and the increasing parity that we see across the country on both the women's and the men's side. The second thing would be in the Division I women's side, how the rankings have flipped in the past week with five of the previous week's top Top six teams losing, and the sixth team, Southern California, they didn't play, and perhaps they're happy that they didn't. Third, we're already seeing some terrific crowds. South Carolina, both the women and the men, have had very good crowds at Stone Stadium. The women have had a couple games where they're up nearing 3,000 per game, and the men have already had a game over 5,000. Maryland opened their home season on Monday night against Hofstra, they had nearly 3,800 at Ludwig Field. UConn had 4,800-plus 
for their game on Monday. Wake Forest had an overflow crowd of over 4,300 last weekend. And UMBC, the Retrievers, as you recall, the games that we've televised there on the hill in Baltimore, they went for a record of over 2,900 the other night. Again, a Monday night game. And, of course, BYU women, they're always strong in terms of their attendance, and they've gone over 2,800 a couple times. So exciting things with people getting out to see college soccer, and we anticipate some really exciting games coming up this weekend also. Great setup. What about the rankings? What pops out to you, Rob? There's been much good action, but it's really way too early to tell too much. But as I mentioned on the women's side, we've already seen rankings flipped where West Virginia, Stanford, South Carolina, North Carolina, Southern Cal, and Florida State were the top six teams last week. And Virginia went from one to six, Stanford two to five, South Carolina three to 11, North Carolina four to nine, Southern California, as I stated, might be happy they didn't play, even though they slipped from five to seven, and Florida State went from six to 15. West Virginia, they opened the season with a win over Georgetown at one nothing, and held the top spot after that, but then they lost to Virginia three to one last week, and that toppled them. Stanford's been on the road this season, and after their first weekend, where they outscored Marquette and Wisconsin 9-0 to in two games, they lost away at Florida 3-2. to South Carolina, they're popping the big crowds I mentioned at Stone Stadium, Marty, but they dropped on the road to Wake Forest 3-2. to And perhaps the surprise of the season so far was North Carolina's loss to Central Florida. They lost to them 2-1. to which one of Anson's former players, Tiffany Roberts, the Haydick, gets the win over the uh, former mentor. And then Florida State. Last year they were upset by South Alabama, though I'm sure South Alabama wasn't upset last year. But Florida State squeaked past South Alabama this year 2-1, to one, but then they lost to Alabama 1-0. to zero. And then to seemingly be on a roll, getting players back from last year's U-20 team, UCLA, 4-0. They've scored 17 goals to their opponents, five in their first four games. Florida has gone from 8-2 to two in the rankings, and that's probably on the strength of a win, 3-2 to two over Stanford. But they've also had two games that they've somewhat squeaked by. They beat Florida Atlantic 1-0, and Syracuse, Two to one, so they've not necessarily been dominant. And then Penn State, they were probably the team that was hit hardest last year with players bypassing their year of soccer to play on the United States under 20 national team. And they had wins over BYU and Arkansas that brought them back into the light, and they've jumped from nine to four. And then Virginia also lost players last year to the U20s. They had the win away at West Virginia 2-1, to one, and that's probably an early signature win for them. They went from 10-3. to three. Clemson's also out of the gate strong. They jumped from 13-8, to eight, and they have wins over 2A5 schools, Indiana and Auburn. And Nebraska stayed at 14, but Nebraska's also at 4-0, and oh, and they've started to climb again in the last couple of years after being somewhat out of sight, out of mind over the past number of years. 
And then into the top 25 is North Carolina State, as they had wins at Oregon, as well as Portland. Both of those wins were shut out, so that jumped into the top 25. And then we have a couple teams at 4-0-0, William & Mary with Coach John Daly getting his team strong out of the gate, and then Wake Forest. They've had a rough couple years, but Tony Deleuze's team is also starting the season at 4-0-0, and Oklahoma State, we haven't heard from in the top 25 for a year or two, and they're out at 4-0-0 as well. So that's a little bit of an overview from the women's side with much exciting weekend action coming up. All right, Rob, that's the women. What about the men's rankings? Well, for the most part, the D1 men held form in Week 1 with a few surprises. But as with the women, the results in Week 1 doesn't necessarily make a season. But we had Stanford, Wake Forest, North Carolina, Denver, Clemson, and Maryland in the top six positions, and they all stayed not necessarily in the same positions where North Carolina went from four to three and Denver went from three to four, but for the most part, Stanford's one, Wake Forest two, Carolina three, Denver four, Clemson five, and Maryland six. So we still see that holding pretty strong, and then we have the remainder of the top 25, not too much different either after week one, although we had Utah Valley jump into the top 25, as well as West Virginia, and then probably the surprise so far, both on the top 25 for the men and women, would be Omaha. And Stanford, after scoring zero goals in last year's 2016 College Cup, they come back as the reigning champion, and they open the season with four goals and a shutout versus San Jose State. And then Wake Forest, they're often running in front of overflow crowds in Winston-Salem with nine goals versus Rutgers in Providence. And at number three, the University of North Carolina, they also pounded Rutgers and Providence with a combined score of 10-3 to last weekend. Denver, with hardly a loss in two years, opens with a 3-1 to win over Florida Gulf Coast. The University of Denver must just absolutely be on fire. They had final four teams in soccer, ice hockey, and lacrosse last year. And again, Denver starts strong again. Clemson, they open at 2-0-0 and preps to welcome the Gamecocks to Riggs Field this weekend, which would be a, a real featured game nationally. And then Maryland. Maryland got a win at Santa Clara, came back across the coast to play Hofstra, and they won 2-0 on Monday night and got those seats warmed up at Ludwig because they're going to be welcoming in UCLA for a Friday night game on the Big Ten Network, and I think you know a little bit about that one. When you think about the D1 men, not many other surprises teams held serve, but of note are teams that jumped into the top 25, Utah Valley. They're always strong and have been from the beginning of their program a few years ago, and it's of no surprise to see them jump into the top 25 after they had opening season win 1-0 to against Akron. Then West Virginia University, they go to 2-0-0. They went to the West Coast and beat Cal and Santa Clara, and I know I spoke with Marlon LeBlanc on a couple things yesterday and I know his trip back across the country was a happy one, as it's always tough to go to the West Coast from the East and get a couple wins, and they open with that. 
But perhaps the, the surprise of the season so far is Omaha. It reminds me, in one sense, of the Eagles song, New Kid in Town, where the Omaha Mavericks, they go 2-0 and with wins against Grand Canyon, and then a 5-1 to thumping of Virginia Tech from the ACC, who was also an NCAA tournament team last year. I think it's something, looking at this, if Omaha can stay strong, let's keep our eyes on this, because on September 26th, we'll see who overcomes in Omaha when the Mavs go down the street to play at Creighton. That will be a special night in Omaha for sure, because they love their soccer out there. And... Omaha has a favorable schedule. That could be a real collision on September 26th. Okay, Rob Kehoe, with week three for the women and week two for Division I men underway, what games do you consider, quote, must-watch action for college soccer fans this week? And if you had the ability for time travel, where would you want to be this coming weekend? I would like to be at five games on Friday and three on Saturday, and here they are. On the men's side, Friday. I would really like to be at Riggs Field to see Clemson welcome South Carolina. That's always a terrific match, and we expect to see overflow crowd at Riggs. As mentioned, at Ludwig, Maryland will be hosting UCLA on the Big Ten Network, and one of the things, as you and I know, having been at a number of those games on Friday nights, one of the things that uh, they don't want to do is tell the fire marshal they're playing because they're going to be packing them in there. Then on Saturday for the men, I'd like to be in St. Louis. Wake Forest is traveling to St. Louis University. Mike McGinty, former player at Wake Forest and coach there as well, now leading the St. Louis Billikens, and that should be a tremendous matchup with the fans in St. Louis who love their soccer getting out to see that. And then also on Saturday at Joe Maroney Stadium, UConn is hosting Notre Dame. They had standing room only on the Monday night game against Quinnipiac, and I talked with Ray Reed yesterday also, and he is very excited to welcome Notre Dame in, and he said we're going way over 5,500 on Saturday night. On the women's side, Friday, Stanford welcomes Georgetown. Georgetown, a Final Four team last year, plays exciting soccer. They're going to the farm to play against the Cardinal. BYU will be hosting UCLA, and having televised games there in the past, we know what kind of a crowd they get all the time at BYU, and bringing UCLA in for this weekend is going to be an exceptional night there. And then Texas A&M, G. Guerrero's program is always terrific and bring wonderful crowds to watch the Aggies play, and they're bringing in Oklahoma State, their former Big 12 foes. That should be an exciting matchup in College Station and Saturday night. Penn State travels to Morgantown to meet West Virginia University, and that has always been a wonderful contest, and we expect to see the gates bursting open there as well when Penn State comes into Morgantown. And as I mentioned, Penn State's on the rise. West Virginia's been holding strong. So that should be a top-five matchup that everybody should want to see. Rob Kehoe, you know how to pick them. Every one of those games gets me excited, and I'll be calling that Maryland-UCLA game, the same game we called two years ago when Sebastian Elney hit the header for the winner in front of that record crowd. I can't wait to have that call again. Rob, always a pleasure being with you. We'll see you in three weeks right here on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Thanks, Dean. Exciting week for college soccer.
And it certainly was an exciting time in women's college soccer. As you heard Rob Kehoe talk about the rankings going upside down. One of the biggest wins, UCF and Tiffany Roberts-Sahedic with her husband Tim Sahedic knocking off the University of North Carolina. Of course, Tiffany played at North Carolina under Anson Dorrance. We'll visit with her next. And then another big win, Tony Deleuze and Wake Forest knocking off South Carolina, who came in as a top five team. And how about the job Michael Neal has done at Rutgers in just four short years? He's taken his team to the College Cup, the NCAA tournament every year, and always near the top of the Big Ten women's soccer standings. Speaking of the Big Ten season, Sydney Squires, five goals in two games for Stephanie Golan and the Minnesota Golden Gophers. She's also coming up. But first, Tiffany Roberts-Sahedic. She won an Olympic gold medal. She won a World Cup. And now she's getting it done as the head coach of UCF. She's next. The NSCAA is now United Soccer Coaches. As the largest soccer coaches community in the world, we unite soccer coaches around the love of the game. It's in our DNA. No matter where in the coaching journey you are, we are here to serve you. We help you develop into better coaches so you can develop better players. We aren't changing who we are, just what you call us. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org join today. This is Dean Linky for the Huddle High Pod Camera System. You can capture the entire pitch with high-angle video to elevate your club. Now through September 30th, Huddle is offering a free HiPod camera system to qualify new signups. Get above the action with a HiPod camera to never miss a moment, then upload to Huddle to review video, track stats, and improve your team's performance. The system comes with an HD video camera, 21-foot tripod, and HD monitor. Visit Huddle, spelled H-U-D-L dot com, slash HiPod to sign up. That's huddle.com slash HiPod, H-I-P-O-D. Back to our show, Rob Kehoe said it best. How about the shakeup for Division I women's soccer? So many teams going down. Stanford goes down. And North Carolina goes down, defeated by a former Tar Heel, one of our favorites to ever wear the Carolina blue, one of our favorites to ever wear the red, white, and blue. Talking about Tiffany Roberts, Sahadek, and Tiffany Well done, you. Thanks for being with us on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Thanks, Dean. Happy to be here. Yeah, I know you've got great memories during your time at North Carolina and during your time with Anson Dorrance, who also was the national team coach a little bit, probably before your time full-time with the national team. But that's a big win, right? Uh, I'm not sure. I think I read something where I don't know if any of his players that played under him have ever beaten him. Is that true? I guess it is. Our uh, UCF staff here did some fact-checking, and they were able to verify it. But you know how I found out, actually, is uh, Lori Walker, who's sure. a Tar Heel alum, who is the head coach at Ohio State. She texted me and congratulated me after our win, and she's like, by the way, you know that you're the first Tar Heel. So she's actually the one who gave me the information, and I, I, I showed it to our communications department, and then they checked it. <laughs> well, just to set the table again, Tiffany roberts Sahadic did such great things at, at North Carolina. Then she went on to win a gold medal in the Olympics and win the World Cup in 99, where she was such a key part in the middle of the field there as well. Then went on to win a WSA title with the Carolina Courage. Had the pleasure of watching her play next to Hega Risa. And when, during all that time, when did you know that you wanted to be a coach, Tiff? <laughs> Dean, I wish I knew I wanted to be a coach back then <laughs> because I probably would have paid a little bit more attention. <laughs> I would have been a better student, I think, if I knew I was going to be a coach later on. You know, I think I was just very blessed and an opportunity came our way kind of 
fell into our lap and for the opportunity for Tim and I to coach together as head coaches, um, co-head coaches at Virginia Commonwealth University, it just kind of happened. And we weren't even on the, I mean, we were coaching club soccer and we knew soccer would always be in our life, but to go the collegiate route, it wasn't really in our life plans, but it happened and it is you know, one of the best things that's ever happened to us. Yeah, I mean, here you are, uh, Tim, who also played at North Carolina, was a big-time player as well, played professionally after his time at at North Carolina, as did Tiffany. I mean, to be side-by-side with, uh, you know, your lifetime partner, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, it is really, really special. And, and sometimes we're like, maybe we're the weird ones, because a lot of people like, I can never, you know, uh, work with my spouse, you know, every day of the week. And um, but Tim and I really enjoy it, and we really respect one another. We need one another. I could not do this job without him. We're so different, but, you know, we bring different things to the table. So we, we really balance one another and um, in every way. So it's a really good partnership, and we have an awesome marriage and a great working relationship and two daughters that get to come to all the games and cheer us on. So it's a pretty cool life. Yeah, no surprise. Two absolutely beautiful daughters, by the way. Just a fantastic family. And you're rolling along at VCU. I know you're grateful for the opportunity at VCU, but then UCF with Amanda Cromwell heading out west to go to UCLA. That door opens. What do you remember about that process and the decision to move to Florida? Yeah, of course, it's always hard leaving a a program when you've invested so much time into, I mean, not just the program, but the people. You know, I love and I still love the people at VCU and my players, and uh, you just created that family. So that was the hardest thing. But, you know, UCF was a wonderful opportunity in front of us, um, being a top program in the country. And I know Amanda Cromwell had, a done, had done a really great job here. So I knew we were taking over a program that was already, you know, at the top. So it was really hard to say no to that. And then we we told our kids we were moving to Disney World and, that made that transition a little easier. <laughs> <laughs> Those are easy words to say. That's a, certainly, all right, we'll pack it up. We'll, we'll head down there. Yeah. And, and obviously you've, <laughs> you've had great success and you've enjoyed it. Uh, you've built it to, to a program that can, in fact, compete for perhaps a national championship, particularly in today's world where we're seeing new teams arrive. Rutgers in 2015, last year, Southern Cal wins it all. So you beat North Carolina. I mean, you got to believe that uh, uh, as – probably 30, 40 teams believe that they could win a national championship, Tiff. Yeah, I definitely think that. And that's where the game has, has got to, you know, and there's so much parity and there's so many good players out there and there's so many great programs that have so many resources. I mean, we give so much to our student athletes for them to be successful. And um, so I do, I do think that, and I think that's what we need for the game. So um, you know, it's, it's been going in the right direction. And, and I love that our players feel like they, you know, they believe like we can do this. And, and it's great that, you know, there are 30 programs out there that think they can win the national championship this year. It makes it more exciting and more competitive. All right, so take us back to that game against North Carolina and Anson Dorrance being so close to him right there on the bench and then getting the victory. What do you remember about the game, it ending, shaking his hand, all of that? It was definitely a roller coaster, I'd say, in the first three minutes. I was so disappointed when we got scored on so early. I'm like, are you kidding me? I think I threw my hat down. I was so mad. Um, all that preparation, I think it's like going down the tubes there for a second. But um, quickly, had to rally the troops. And But the, my players, I mean, they responded so well. And uh, getting a goal back within 10 minutes, um, that, that did it for us. I mean, that was huge uh, for them to, to be able to do that. 
And then, you know, then I mentioned this when I was interviewed earlier, then the, the grind set in because, you know, Carolina's known for their depth and how athletic they are and their, their pressure, and they're just going to keep going at you and going at you, and they're, they're just knocking at the door, you know, and, and it was just, it was, a, it was like a war, you know, but the, the players, they really believed in it, like I said, and they, they played well and they played together. And sometimes that's hard to do in the beginning of the season when you have some new personnel on the field and you're working with a new back four, still trying out two goalkeepers, you know. It's just an like awesome team effort. And then, of course, Anson, I mean, he's such a, a character, you know. I just glance over him every once in a while to see what his stress behavior was like, <laughs> what he was, <laughs> mood he was in, but... You know, it gives me great joy to just sit on the sideline next to him. I mean, he's such a – I have so much respect for that man, and he's done so much for me as a player. And then even now as a coach, I mean, he's a mentor of mine. If I have questions, I'll call him um, about recruiting or different situations that I've been in. Or, I mean, he's, he's helped me along the way these past 10 years as a college coach. So it's crazy to think it's taken this long for a Tar Heel to beat him. I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. Like, he's he's just – He's the man. That's that's all I have to say about him. <laughs> he is the man, uh, no no doubt about it. And you know, and I think about you as well. I can tell that uh, you feel blessed to be at UCF. I can tell that you feel blessed to work with your husband. I can tell that you feel blessed to have these two beautiful daughters. And this is going to be a tough one for you, in, including the win over North Carolina. When you think about your career, right? You're a great youth player. You win a national championship in North Carolina. Then you go on and and win a gold medal in the Olympics. You play along with Michelle Akers in 99 when you captured the attention of everybody, men, women, boys and girls winning the World Cup. Then you win a title with the Carolina Courage and the WSA playing next to one of the all-time greats, Hegarisa. I mean, you think about, you know, a lot of people, hey, pick their three best moments in your life and you're like, well, that one maybe. I mean, you can't even do that, right? I mean, they're all amazing. <laughs> I know. I do feel blessed about that. And you, you talk about that. I'm just like, I don't even believe it. <laughs> Because it sounds awesome, but it, it, it all is awesome. But um, I don't know. A lot of times I look at him like, man, I've been really lucky. I just somehow get in line with the right people who helped me along the way. And it's like, you know, none of those things would happen without the whole – it's like it all comes together, you know. It's, it was about my teammates or my coaches and situations that have happened or certain challenges and overcoming. I mean, there's so many crazy things that have to come into play to – end up winning in the end but um it is hard to pinpoint because they all have their own special journey i think in the end um but i will say that this this win this past weekend was so special because it most of my wins have been as a player and just new perspective as a coach it's just completely different and that's why i'd mentioned you know this is just as good as winning a world cup right now because my perspective as a coach is just this proud I'm just so proud of my players and I'm so like overwhelmingly I'm oh, I'm just it's, I'm just so happy for them to see them happy it's like a parent and their kid you know it's like you're as happy as your kids are and to see them in that moment and thrilled it just made my day I tell you what, Tiffany, that's the perfect way to end right there, particularly knowing all your accomplishments to to say now as a coach, it's about your players and getting that big win over a program that uh, everybody holds with the highest esteem. I love it. I'm proud of you. I'll tell you what, I enjoyed calling your games. And uh, I said before we went on the air, you're the kind of person that all you got to do is say someone's name and it brings a smile to their face. <laughs> that says a lot about your spirit, Tiffany Roberts. I had to give my best to your husband, your team. Thank Good you, luck Dean. and hope to see you in the College Cup. 
up. Yeah, I hope so too. Thanks, Dean. UCF beat North Carolina. Wake Forest beat South Carolina. And we'll talk to the head coach of the Wake Forest women's soccer team now in his 21st season, Tony Deleuze, when we return. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With TeamSnap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with TeamSnap. Go to TeamSnap.com United. Now, once again, here's Dean. Continuing our theme, focusing on the incredible parity and competition level for women's Division I soccer as set up by Rob Kehoe, the director of college programs. Michael Neal getting it done at Rutgers. How about Sydney Squires, the player of the week as well? Tiffany Roberts-Sahadik on the show. And now we're joined by Tony Deleuze in his 21st season, count of 21 as the head coach of the Wake Forest women's soccer team, off to a magnificent start, highlighted by the game that Rob Kehoe started the show with, knocking off South Carolina, and he's now 4-0. and That's a big win. It's a nice start to your season, Coach. Yeah, a great win. South Carolina has been so good over the last four years, so steady going deep into the tournament. And I definitely wanted to upgrade our schedule this year, uh, non-conference schedule, and South Carolina was good enough to come up for the game and it was a really tough first half for us they pressed us hard and scored a couple goals and so we were down 2-1 and then uh, I thought the second half we, we made some good adjustments and, and controlled most most of the game in the second half and came back with a win. So I ran into you actually at a North Carolina FC game where your son is one of the stars, Austin Deleuze, who, by the way, is Wake Forest still all-time assist leader for the men's program. And you told me, you had that twinkle in your eye. You said, you know, hey, we're back this year. We've got a team that uh, can make some noise. And, of course, you've made plenty of noise over the years. But in the ACC, man, it is a grind, as you know. You could have the best team ever and still not come out with the best record ever. But this is a year you thought uh, was going to be a good one, Coach. Uh, how are you feeling about it early on at 4-0? I feel good. I feel like we're still improving, not where we're going to end up, I think. We still have some working in a couple attacking players that have been out injured. Uh, they're coming in now. I like our team a lot. I think the chemistry is really good. Some good young players who are here for summer school and kind of got a head start acclimating to the whole thing. And We've got a great senior class, junior class, so a lot of leadership. All the little the little intangibles that every team needs, I think we've got. And then add in some talent, we're going to be pretty good. And you're getting yourself prepped for the ACC season. I'm heading into Big Ten country to take on Michigan State, uh, always a team that's scary. And, of course, Greg Ryan with Michigan usually always gets his team in the NCAA tournament. That's a nice little Big Ten slate right there with Michigan State and the Wolverines. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm not looking past George Mason and Princeton this weekend, but the following weekend, that trip to, to Michigan is a big one. Big Ten teams are, are very competitive, and being on the road for both, it's really going to be a, a great test for us. They're both solid teams and, and NCAA teams, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a, a really good trip for our kids. Coach, you're... Uh... A California man, and now you've made North Carolina your home. This is home for you now, right? Yeah, 21 years. Don't plan really on on leaving this place. As Wake Forest is just such a fantastic home. It's a great place to work, and the players that I get to coach are just fantastic kids. 
I'm pretty lucky. And I have a low-maintenance job because our kids are so self-disciplined on and off the field. So it makes my life a lot easier as a coach when you don't have to babysit kids. And I love it here. You know, our kids have all grown up here, so they're pretty much North Carolina kids as well. My wife and I are not planning on going anywhere. We just need to win games. Remind us how great it was for your wife and yourself to not only you leading the Wake Forest women's soccer team, but to watch your son have such a great career and win a national championship playing for the men's team at Wake Forest. Super special. I mean, I, I, it just that just doesn't happen to be able to see him every day here at Wake, in the office, on the field every day, training, being able to see him play and have that kind of success over four years is just a dream come true for any parent and any kid um, to be able to share that with his parents. We're really proud of him again. He's got his degree from Wake Forest, which is quite an accomplishment, you know, playing in a in a highly competitive program like this and to be able to come out with his four-year degree. We're super proud of everything that he's accomplished. It's something that we're going to look back on later on and just go, wow, that, that really worked out pretty well. I'm going to put a tough one on you. 21 years, what's your best memory as the head coach of the Wake Forest women's soccer team? Wow, that's a tough one. Winning the quarterfinal here at Spry in 2011, that put us into the College Cup. That was extremely special to be able to do that here at home. And, of course, the ACC championship in 2010 is you know, a team that really just scrapped and, and worked their tails off to win that ACC championship for the first time in our program. That's not easy to do. That tournament is really, really hard to win. But that's a, probably the two, the two biggest moments. Finally, Coach, great start. Uh, as you said, uh, I was already moving past uh, your games coming up with Princeton and George Mason, and that's this weekend. What's got to go right, uh, Coach, for Wake Forest to do well in the ACC and get back in the big dance? we got to start off well. We can't dig ourselves in a hole like we did last year. We had a really good team last year, and for some reason we just couldn't get a goal to change the game. So this year, you know, it's going to be a big emphasis on trying to get a lead in every ACC game, put our opponents under pressure from the from the beginning. I just think this team has has a really solid base defensively. Our midfield is really really strong, and now we've added in some attacking players, some of these young young kids that have really really brought us different games. They're athletic, they're technical. You know, they know how to finish. They're composed under pressure and finishing. And we've also, one of our seniors, Sarah Medina, has actually really made a lot of progress this year so far down the right side. She's helping us quite a bit. It's going to be an emphasis on starting with goals and playing with a lead. This team has a good attitude and they believe in themselves. I think we're going to be okay. I get to say the Deleuze name almost every week as the longtime voice of North Carolina FC, your superstar son. And uh, <laughs> I know he's a proud son of his dad as well, one of your biggest fans. You know that and vice versa right back at him. So, Tony Deleuze, congrats on your great start. Love uh, having you on early on during the college soccer season and wish you all the best as you walk into the ACC season. Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about our program, Dee. It's my pleasure. I'm a big fan of yours. Keep it up. Thanks so much, Coach. Always good to talk to you. Anytime. Talk about another good-looking family. First the Sahedics, now the Deleuze family. Some good-looking people, some good people, which is most important. Speaking of good people, Mike O'Neill has Rutgers also undefeated 
In just four seasons, he's already taken his team to the College Cup, and they've never missed the NCAA tournament. It's Mike O'Neill coming up next. The NSCAA is now United Soccer Coaches. We aren't changing who we are, just what you call us. Start your free no-risk trial membership today. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join. Moving right along on the United Soccer Coaches podcast, pleased to be joined by the head coach of the Rutgers Women's Soccer Program. That's Mike O'Neill entering his fourth season this year as head coach of the Rutgers Women's Soccer Program, an 18th year overall with the Rutgers women's soccer team. Coach O'Neill, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me on, Dean. Yeah, we just had uh, Rob Keogh on breaking down the rankings. And boy, and the women, lots of upsets. The rankings are changing. You win all your games, and you even go down one to 16. So obviously none of that matters right now. It's crazy time. But three up, three down, you're off to a good start, Coach. Yeah, yeah, we like our team. You know, it's been, uh, we're, we sit 3-0 right now. And, um, you know, we're very young. We have 21 freshmen and sophomores. But we have great leadership and our captains and uh, strong leadership abilities, character, and so yeah. So it's it's a, it's a, it's very important when you have such a young team that have great leadership. So we're you know happy with where we are right now, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Well, defensively you must be strong. You played three games. You've outscored the opposition nine to zero. Yeah, I mean we we, we put a lot of emphasis on obviously both sides of the ball. I think that in in that area we have Casey Murphy's in the goal for us, and she's one of the, one of the top goalkeepers in the, I think in the world. So that experience that she brings back from playing with uh, our our national program is very important. And in the in the back we have it's probably our most experienced group, and that uh, we have a. Uh, one junior and three sophomores. Those sophomores have that year of experience in college soccer, which is big. But they all come from good uh, youth programs that have, they have played in big matches, so they're they're prepared. Uh, but yeah, we put a lot of emphasis on both sides of the ball, and uh, but we we like what we're doing in in, in the back and in the goal and up the spine of the team. We're here with Mike O'Neill, who became the first head coach in Rutgers women's soccer history to lead the program to the NCAA Women's College Cup. That happened in 2015, and Rutgers is now qualified for five consecutive NCAA tournaments and reached a conference championship match in three of the last four years. So every year you've been the head coach, you've been there. Obviously, Glenn Crooks went out. Uh, he left a, a pretty good team for you as well. Talk about that handoff, Coach, because through that handoff, you've elevated the program to that college cup level pretty neat handoff well first of all i'd like to say i would not be in the position i am today if it wasn't for glenn um i came in with glenn geez we worked together for 13 years it came in in 2000 i think it was 2000 together yeah we've kind of uh, built something together something special and uh yeah it was a it was a, a time of the year that uh a time in the program that I felt for, I guess Glenn felt for him that it was, uh, he wanted to do something else with his career. So he retired and just, uh, you know, for Glenn being the friend that he is, you know, we, uh, the handoff was, uh, was quite easy um, because we, he allowed me from day one to be part of everything that he did. So he taught me a lot about leadership. And uh, when it was time for him to retire and, uh, and hand the program off, he did a very good job of preparing me and the rest of the staff to continue with the success that we had and taking it to the next level. He said that he's not around anymore, but I'm very happy for him because he's uh, onto something new. He's a broadcaster, and he's very good at what he does. 
we miss him. We have to continue to, to get better and move forward. Yeah, I'll actually be joining him in the booth, I understand, for a Wisconsin Rutgers men's soccer game. Looking forward to working with Glenn Crooks. And he actually stepped aside the year you guys entered the Big Ten. And boy, the Big Ten has been great for you, Coach, that outstanding first season in 2014. I wonder if even Glenn had any idea, though, that uh, he was turning over a college cup team. What do you remember? Because it's not that long ago about that incredible run in just your second year, 2015, all the way to the College Cup at Wake Met Soccer Park in Cary? You know, I think for, for any team, you know, it's, it's important to have great leadership and you need to have ability, which is very, very important. Um, but I think in any team, it's, you know, it's, a, it's, it's a clear understanding that the team is the most important. Uh, in any team, you need to have strong character and they have to be committed. And I think the, the thing that was so important, and not that it wasn't before because it was there before, it was the it was the consistency in the program. You have consistency in your program. Then what happens, you know, more and more people want to be part of that because they, everybody has aspirations to play for, to play for championships. But I think the, the, the thing that was so important is, um, was the player's ability to come in every day and get better. You know, it, it was so important to them, was so important to the coaching staff that that was non-negotiable. We needed to come in, we needed to get better every day. But I think a big piece of that was also the enjoying the process it's still sport we can never lose sight of that so i think we what we've been able to do is to create an environment where people come in every day and get better put their guard down and be the best that they possibly can be that has to go through you know throughout the whole team that need to share the same vision so the leadership of that group and the leadership of the program over the last four years entering into the into the big 10 has been very important for our success and you get a bounce here a bounce there you need to stay healthy, and that's what we've been able to do over the over the that year and over the last four years. The program is in a in a very good position from the day it entered the Big Ten, and uh, and it's in a very good position today. Your run in 2015, you look at Southern Cal last year, you look at just the shakeup this week with West Virginia going down, Stanford going down, North Carolina going down, the incredible parity and high level of competition in women's college soccer. Coach O'Neill, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I think from, from top to bottom, the, the level of college soccer has, has gotten better. There's no doubt about that. And I contribute that to the impact that the ECNL has had on, on youth soccer. But there's no easy games. You know, there's none in preseason out of conference play. And then, you know, we get into Big Ten play, you know, every game is a battle. I read an article on uh, that uh, Anson Darns was a part of in Soccer America, and that's what he started talking about is the is the parity, that there's the level of there's so many good players out there and that there's no easy game. So, but I also believe that's important for the development. You need to come in every day and make sure you put your best foot forward because that's how we grow as programs that's how we grow as 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 individuals from parity to loyalty we mentioned you've been with the program 18 years so 14 years you were an assistant coach perhaps you had opportunities to leave but you decided to stay and you were rewarded with the chop job by staying talk about that loyalty uh, and, and hanging in there with a head coach and then getting the opportunity to take over as the head coach it's a big credit to glenn because i i was with glenn for 13 years and i never felt like i was an assistant you know, I think his the way that he ran the program was he allowed everybody to be truly who they were. And if somebody was better at presenting something, then he was very confident in his ability, but that's what he promised the players. 
So there was never a time for me that I had to say, like, you know, okay, I need this. He always made me feel like I was a part of it. And and that's why I think when, when it was time for Glenn and he wanted to retire, you know, the transition was seamless. It was because I was involved in everything. The consistency in the in, in the coaching staff. Meg Ryan is, is my associate head coach, and she's been here for 13 years, you know. So that consistency is important, but I think it's 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 critical – to create an environment where coaches don't want to leave, that you, you know, it's important to the administration that they're a part of it. They, they recognize that you've, you know, that you've built something special and it's important to hang on to your people. And I think the, you know, when I, when Glenn retired and I became the head coach, the administration just really embraced keeping our, our coaches here. So, but I think that's a reflection of Glenn. I think that's, you know, we have great leadership here in, the athletic director, Pat Hobbs, and the vision that he shares to take all the programs forward. So I'm fortunate to be in the position that I am and to get there, to have the opportunity with the resources I have uh, in the Big Ten. Finally, as we've seen so many times, great players turn into great coaches. And let me tell everybody, by the way, Mike O'Neill actually earned the Coggins Award, emblematic of the top high school player in New Jersey back in 1984. Sorry I had to say the year, but it, it, it is relative because here's the deal. You went on to Seton Hall where you were a member of Seton Hall's Big East Championship teams in 87 and 88. But here's the most amazing thing. Kearney, New Jersey. Now, when I was with U.S. Soccer, Kearney, New Jersey meant big things, right? Tony Miola and John Harks and not that far away, Tab Ramos. You're a native of Kearney, New Jersey. Actually went to Kearney High School in 84, right during that time when Miola and Harks were bursting onto the scene. What do you remember about all of that? Kearney, was a, it was a hotbed of soccer. I mean, there was, uh, you know, we're fortunate, and we think about in the 94 World Cup, 11 starters and three of them from one, from one hometown. But that was the level that, of soccer that was in Kearney. You know, we had John, we had Tab, we had Tony. But there was a lot of other good players that, of that ability that maybe just never made it or didn't have those opportunities. So it was a hotbed of soccer. And, and I think that, you know, that culture of growing up and soccer being in your blood and, and recognizing that the game is the most important, that you can get out and, and play and enjoy the process and recognize that it's about taking care of your business and then making sure that you enjoy it. You know, there's always people around to make sure that you never, you know, got bigger than the game or, or you, it kept you humble because there was, you know, it, you talk about it takes a, let's say it takes a village to, to raise a player. And uh, everybody was involved in Carney soccer. So it was, a, it was, I feel truly fortunate to have grown up there at that time around so many good people and so many good players. Well, he's a great coach now, Mike O'Neill. Tonight, he's got Mount St. Mary's, the head coach of the Rutgers women's soccer team, undefeated to start, looking to go 5-0 and through the weekend. Coach, thanks for being with us on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So on September 29th, Mike O'Neill and the Rutgers women's soccer team will welcome the Minnesota Golden Gophers and their star forward, Sydney Squires. She scored four goals in one game this week against Iowa State, five on the week to be named the United Soccer Coaches Player of the Week on the women's side. And we're joined by Sydney Squires when we come back. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, 
Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap with a heavy dose of women's Division I soccer, including four guests that have teams in the most recently released United Soccer Coaches Top 25, a team that you continue to see there now under the direction of Stephanie Golan or the Minnesota Golden Gophers from the Big Ten. And guess what, folks? We are so pleased to be joined by this week's United Soccer Coaches Women's Player of the Week, senior forward Sydney Squires from Minnesota. She's been named the NCAA Player of the Week, the United Soccer Coaches Player of the Week, and the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week after her five goals and one assist this past week, including four goals against Iowa State. What a week for Sydney Squires, and Sydney joins us now. Sydney, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Sydney, I had the pleasure last year of calling your game against Penn State in Minnesota. Fantastic game against two of the juggernauts now, obviously, in the Big Ten, and I was blown away by your entire team. But I remember there was this Squires gal that would come out of nowhere. You wouldn't even know she was there, and you she would you would run down every single ball. Well, you went from that all the way to the Big Ten championship game where you scored a goal against Rutgers. You were named the Big Ten Tournament Offensive MVP. So what a great way to end your season last year going into the tournament and you're picking right up where you left off. You're feeling it right now, Sydney. Honestly, my coaches, they after the Iowa State game, they said you shouldn't really look so surprised. But four out of five headers, I mean, I've never really been one of the players in the air. So I guess that's something I picked up for my senior year. Well, your four goals against Iowa State all came in a 17-minute stretch, right, where you headed three of the four yeah. goals. 17 amazing minutes. So what happened there? That's a good question. I honestly, after Notre Dame, where I felt like we we really earned that win, and we came out with a tie, which was fine, but I really felt like we deserved that win. And coming into Iowa, Iowa State, I think we were all hungry for a win, but I felt particularly goal-hungry against Iowa State, and it just happened to work out. Well, and Sydney, you've been uh, you know very patient, right? Uh, we talked about how you came on last year, came off the bench quite a bit, and, and now you're in there. Talk about uh, that process, right, of uh, you know biding your time and taking advantage of your opportunity. So for like in soccer particularly, we don't really sub center mids that often. We barely sub our back line, but the forwards – actually get to rotate through a lot so even if you're not starting you will have the opportunity to get minutes and kind of build for yourself kind of show off what you have so I mean it's definitely nice to come in my senior year and like come out and start. So was that a process as well you know knowing that uh, you had such success in Hudson Wisconsin uh, I mean I like your attitude on that it's like what's the difference right you're going to play a ton of minutes so was that kind of your attitude uh, throughout? Yeah, and we've had, and we still have a very strong team, and we've always had um, depth up top. So, Coach even talked to us this year, and she took about five of us into a room and said, hey, we are very happy with all of your performances, and we don't foresee any game where you guys, like, won't play significant minutes. Every one of you will play significant minutes, so, you know what, whoever starts, don't even, don't read into it. We're very happy with how everyone's playing. So I guess it just kind of comes with the territory of being a forward. 
Well said, four goals your freshman year, five goals sophomore year, eight goals last year, and now off to this rocking start, including five goals in one week to win the Player of the Week honors at three different, you know, the Big Ten, United Soccer Coaches, and NCAA. That's a pretty good week for hardware right there. <laughs> my, my team was so nice. We had film yesterday, and when I came in, everyone was, oh, did everyone vote? Did everyone go on Twitter? You need to start voting. They were all so it was it was nice. They're very supportive. Talk about uh, playing under Stephanie Golan, who has been a friend to the United Soccer Coaches family. I mean, Minnesota is no longer a secret, and uh, certainly she's a key role in that. Yeah, so I initially got recruited by Mickey, and then when she and Coach kind of turned over, Coach Golan continued to pursue me, and I was very thankful. I Knew I, I always knew I wanted to play at the University of Minnesota. It's been really fun, and we have seen a definite like growth over my four years here, going from maybe winning like, four, like five or six games to winning both the Big Ten like tournament and just the regular season. It's huge. Well, speaking of huge, the fans at Elizabeth Lyle Robbie Stadium, they get that place rocking, Sydney. Rocking the Robbie for sure. And that obviously makes it uh, fun playing. And, you know, you've got some great teammates as well. You know, one of my favorites actually is your holding mid in the middle of the, the field, Emily Heslin. So tough, you know, and then that great shot last year to win the Big Ten tournament. Uh, we, we do. We get so It's so nice because we have such a solid fan base. And a lot of us are from around here. So all of our families always come. It's always nice to be at home. And Emily Hessen, I don't know if you saw, but she recently scored a goal off of a, like, a beautiful free kick on the outside of the box. Like, just bent it in top corner. It, 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 it should have made some list. It was amazing. I'm not surprised. Stephanie Golan always talked about uh, Emily Heslin having one of the best uh, direct kicks on the team, if not in the nation. And how about one of the best weeks you're ever going to find? Sydney Squires, four goals in one game, another goal, an assist. And she is the United Soccer Coaches Player of the Week, the senior for the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Congratulations, Sydney, and thanks for being with us. Thank you. So not sure how it happened, but perhaps it's that team snap flair as we were joined by the chief growth officer, Ken McDonald, to start the show. But we've ended up talking to some former big-time players who are now big-time coaches, either affiliated with the ACC or the Big Ten. Keeping that theme going, Kelly Lawrence covers both leagues, right? Former superstar player at Indiana by way of England, Kelly Lawrence, Used to call her games under Mick Lyon and the Indiana Hoosiers, and boy, did she ever stand out. She was tough. She was a leader. And now she's the assistant coach in her third year for Syracuse. That's the ACC connection. But how about the connection of her being another member of the incredible United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30 class? Kelly Lawrence is featured next as part of the United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30. Managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job. With Team Snap, it doesn't have to. They help customers save their time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com/United. Now, here's your host, Dean Linky. 
Time now for our weekly visit with an outstanding member of United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30 program. I love this program, folks, and I love now that there's some connectivity. It also means that I'm getting a little older, but here's the deal. I've been calling games for 25 years, college soccer, and the Big Ten Network launched in 2007. I actually did the first ever game on the Big Ten Network, and then along the way, I was able to do some women's soccer games for Indiana University, and it didn't take me long to realize they had a very special player, a leader on the field, one that stood out from the very beginning, and her name was Kelly Lawrence, who would go on to all Big Ten status, would be in the running to win the Mac Herman Award. By way of England, she ended up in Bloomington playing for Mick Lyon, and she was awesome. Well, fast forward to today. Guess what? This former player at Indiana is a well-deserved member of the 30 Under 30 program and entering her third season as an assistant coach for the Syracuse women's soccer program, which is perfect today as we got a heavy focus on women's soccer, particularly D1 women's soccer with so much parity, so many upsets and everything else. So, boy, you fit right in, Kelly Lawrence, on multiple levels. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much, Dean. I'm so excited to be a part of this program. Thank you for having me. You know, I'm so excited, too, because I know that you know, and I'm sure you're humble, but you remember how excited I was calling your games and how excited that I was just talking to you before and after the games because you were like a coach on the team. You've always been that way, haven't you? Dean, I remember the, the phone call that we had. I was sitting in the coach's office and, you know, we talked about my journey. And I think I remember the article was a long trip. And I remember, you know, our conversations. And I don't know that I really truly understood leadership as a player. I'm definitely understanding what it means um, as a coach and, and just trying to bring that to the players and trying to get them um, to understand leadership now while they're playing. I really appreciate all of the games that you called and, you know, the support that, that you, you gave, you know, our program and, and the players. It was, uh, it was definitely felt. Well, here's what I remember, especially about the visit with you, and that was uh, your coach and even you admitting that, you know, the other girls were going out. Yeah, they were practicing. They were working hard. But you were watching EPL soccer, like, every moment of the day. I mean, you're yeah. all in at soccer at the highest level. There were times when there was TV screens and then laptops, you know, at the same time. You know, I'm, I'm an avid Tottenham supporter. Ten years ago, I probably wouldn't have admitted that so loudly. <laughs> Thankfully, we're doing, we're doing better in the last five years. Yeah, it, it's my life for sure. Well, and you obviously recognize that this 30 Under 30 program could help your career as well. You told me that you applied five years ago, and yeah. maybe you weren't <laughs> ready then, although you would have got my stamp for sure, and now you are a member. How excited are you to be a part of this 30 Under 30 program? Very excited. Um, I think five years ago, it was as excited to learn as, as I am now. That hasn't changed. And now knowing, you know, what it really takes to, to kind of be accepted in the program. Now looking back and thinking I was, I was a little bit naive, but very excited. It's been a mission for me since I, since I got into the sport to, to attack this as if I was a newborn baby and just, you know, grab everything that I can and learn and observe and, and just get better because I, I, I don't want to be seen as this decent college player that thought she, she could coach. I really want to be the best coach that I could possibly be. So I'm, I'm really excited about this program. You left Indiana in 2010. You played professionally just a little bit. Talk about that. And then when you said, you know what, I'm going to just coach now. I got out of college and, and there were a few few offers to get into co college coaching right away. And I just wasn't ready to, to hang the boots up yet. And I ended up getting a fantastic opportunity through Mick Lyon, my, my head coach, Indiana. He he knew Paul Rogers at St. Louis, and I spent three weeks of preseason with them, and, and I had a blast and kind of ended up needing to go back and I had to finish up classes. And unfortunately, St. Louis folded that year, so that was quite tough. You know, obviously, I was still a college player, but there were a lot of players that, 
this was their livelihood and, and, and for the team to fold mid-season was quite tough and ended up with Boston, which was a really great experience. We won a national championship, some, some great players that showed you how great the, the Breakers first team was because we had a really good reserve team. Then started kind of student assistant coaching with, with Indiana when I came back to finish my degree and then went into the, the winter thinking I was done with playing and then, you know, I was going to go into college coaching and, and was offered a, a great opportunity to get my master's in, co- in college coach and at the last moment declined the offer because I just had this feeling like, you know, I needed to give it one more year and somehow ended up in, in California playing for Orange County Waves, which is a brand new um, professional team was fortunate enough to be on another great team where we were able to win another national championship which was pretty crazy for me two years with two different teams in the WPSL so was really fortunate to be a part of of that team and again kind of you know the the problems that were going on with women's soccer at the time because the plan was to go into the league after that money ran ran up and uh, we actually almost didn't make it to the national championships in Chicago because the the owner um, kind of ran out of money, so we had to kind of get some sponsorship, and we just flew out for the for the two, the semifinal and the final, and and were able to win. and And that was the moment when I realized that maybe I'm the problem. Every club I go to, we <laughs> the money dries <laughs> up, or you know, maybe I need to to think about my life. And at that point, I decided I I, I just didn't want to do the six months in Europe and six months in the U.S. and I decided that I really wanted to have my life in the U.S., something that I didn't necessarily think I was going to do in 2006, but decided that coaching was was the avenue and was fortunate enough to get an opportunity in New Jersey with a Dutch training organization, Dutch Total Soccer. And that's really where I started with like five-year-olds, teaching them how to uh, how to play soccer. And you find out real quick when you're a player that you don't necessarily know how to teach and, and that a lot of the time you're doing everything on instinct. So to work with the little ones and work my way up was really good. It's exactly what I needed. Well, then you go to Monmouth and here you are now at Syracuse in the Atlantic Coast Conference without question, the toughest league every single year. I mean, one minute you got North Carolina Next, you got Clemson, then Virginia, then Wake Forest. I mean, it is a brutal schedule, team after team after team. Pretty tough, right? If I'm being completely honest, when the Syracuse opportunity came up, I was just so excited to be a part of um, this kind of university and athletic department. And then get to the point where you're like, oh, wow, there, there's there's literally not one easy game. Even a couple of programs who went 0-20 in, in their first two seasons are really tough to play against. It's been tough, but it's been the best place for me because I want to be the best. I want to be, you know, coaching the best. I want to be helping players to become the best. I want to be around the best coaches. I want to be on game day, you know, coaching against the best. So it's tough. It's challenging, but it's something that has kind of always been in me, and that's what I want to do. And we're quietly feeling confident about what we're doing here, and um, we feel like we're going in the right direction. And yes, it's challenging, but I, I'd rather be here than winning games every single day at, at a level that you know isn't quite pushing me or my players. So I'm happy to be in the ACC. Happy to be competing against the best. Well, you've seem to have a plan, right? Uh, or at least uh, you're on a mission and you're driven and you always want to achieve greatness. So final question, if you could, and I know it won't be an easy one, but five years from now, Kelly, if everything was perfect, where would you be? What would you be doing? I've been asked that a few times. For me, I look at the short game. It's it's every day. How do I get better? It's every day. How do I help this program get better? It's it's what I've been, I've been saying and, and and breathing and believing every single day. And, and, and if I focus on that, I, I think the future will kind of take care of itself. You know, maybe my resume looks like I've had a plan, but but really, if you if you look at it, it's really about learning and getting better and finding lots of different avenue avenues to get better. Five years from now, I, I hope that I'm in a position where I'm, I'm ready to, to lead a program. But if I'm working for someone that I believe in and I'm inspired by and 
working for a great institution and and I'm a part of it um, and I get to be a part of it every day and, and bring what I can bring, I, I, I will be happy. It's not about me. It's about, you know, making these, these young female athletes believe in their ability and, and play to the best of, the, of their ability. And I really do believe that. I'm excited for the future, but I, I'm focused on the short game. And that's just every day getting better myself because I believe if I do that, then, then hopefully everybody around me will get better also. If you meet her, if you've seen her play, if you see her on the sideline, you know she will get better and you know great things are coming her way. Kelly Lawrence another one of our outstanding members of the United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30. So great to reconnect. Kelly, loved watching you play for the Indiana Hoosiers. Well done, you. So much, Dean. I really appreciate it. Kelly Lawrence wants to get better every day as a member of the United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30 and in her third year as an assistant coach at Syracuse. And guess what? We want to get better every day here as part of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. And yes, believe it or not, every once in a while we do make mistakes. Last week, we told you we'd interview Dan Wagner, the head coach of Franklin and Marshall men's soccer team. And we did interview him, but you never heard his interview. Somehow, he got left out of the show. But guess what? You hear it. Coming up next, Dan Wagner, the head coach of the Franklin and Marshall men's soccer team and alumni of the Great Messiah program. And you hear his interview next. Ready to ditch your spreadsheet? Team Snap can help you streamline your club and league management. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to teamsnap.com slash united. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. I know this is one of our longer shows, but I hope you enjoyed it. I always try to be timely. Definitely wanted to get to know our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Loved Rob Kehoe's breakdown of Division I soccer, the men and women. And, of course, with such a shakeup in the rankings for women, want to spend some extra special time with some of the top coaches as well as the top players at the D1 level. Also want to remind everybody that uh, we made a rare mistake. We expected to have Dan Wagner on the show last week. He was recorded. He was in. And somehow we made the only mistake we've ever made in our entire life as I jest, and his interview did not get in last week's show, even though I said it was coming up. So guess what? It's here right now. Dan Wagner, the head coach of the Franklin and Marshall men's soccer team at the D3 level, and we bring it to you now. Dan Wagner, a Messiah grad, as we told you in the open, who enters his 16th season, 16th as the head coach of the Diplomats, number six to start the season, coming off a 15-4-4 mark last year. Coach Wagner, you know, my wife went to F&M, so we've got that connection, my man. Yeah, how about that? It is a small world. Small world. We're not a big institution, so but good for you. You're doing life right if you did that. Yeah, we actually went uh, by there a couple years ago, and she went down memory lane. Of course, had a Philly cheesesteak as well, and then went into Amish uh, country. It, it was fantastic. So great to be with you. Obviously, number six in the country to start the season. Talk about uh, what makes coaching so special there at FNM. It is just an absolutely tremendous, tremendous group of guys. Uh, we have a lot of players that are looking for to get into education or, or business or law or medicine. They bring with them, you know, just just a lot of, they're just high quality kids. You know, they're the best kids in their schools. And uh, we just have all of them together. We also just have an awesome community here of of administrators that are very, very supportive of what we're doing. So it's it's a great place to coach. All right, let's uh, get to know you a little bit. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, where you grew up. I grew up almost on the campus of Messiah College in Grantham, Pennsylvania. 
And uh, I was the, the little kid that went to every Messiah camp, went to every game in the 80s, and was, you know, was the, the number one fan for the Falcons. And in the summer, I would ride my bike over to the practice fields, and the, the, the big college guys would let me, I mean, when I was 11 or 12, they'd let me run around with them. Uh, and I think it had a, just a huge, huge impact on me. I ended up uh, going on to play at Messiah as well. And so my, my Messiah roots were important in my formative years with soccer. Well, and Messiah is a program coach that we featured a lot here the last two years as part of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Great success. And I understand you actually played with the head coach of the men's team at Messiah, Brad McCarty. Correct. Yeah, I played with Brad. He was a, he was a great player. Um, uh, and then our, you know, our coaching staff was unbelievable. Scott Fry now on the women's team was, was, was floating around there. Uh, within my time before he, he had stepped out and gone to Alma. Uh, and then uh, Leighton Shoemaker uh, and Dave Brant uh, were, were my coaches, and they were, they were unbelievable. I love Dave Brant, actually. Uh, did the Navy-Army game a couple years ago when he was still there as well. Fantastic coach. Love the fact that you're dropping names here. Uh, and speaking of success, you know, we know Messiah, both at the men and women, has been doing fantastic. In fact, uh, you and I kind of joked before we came on the air, those national championships came after you left. But, man, they're rolling in it now, right? And, and look at you, 2013 and Elite Eight. Last year and Elite Eight, the year before 2015, you actually were number one. So people are paying attention to your team. Yeah, thanks. It's been uh, it's, it's been a great uh, great period for our program. Um, it seemed for a while that it, we just never knew, you know, we didn't know how to kind of break through. Uh, and I guess you're always trying to break through to whatever level. Um, but we've we've felt, you know, that the NCAA tournament has been kind to us. Uh, it's, it's been a great great period, and we are dying to get to a Final Four. But that has not been in the cards for us yet. Well, just one game away, and here you go, 17 wins and 13, then 16, then 17, then 15. What are the expectations com- coming into this year, Coach? It's funny. You, you know, the, all, all coaches are cliched and, and talk about you only think about the next game. Uh, and, I, and right now, this whole concept of, like, NCAA tournament stuff, it's like, it's like trying, to, trying to climb Everest, you know. Uh, we've got four out of our first eight games against NCAA tournament teams who won games in the tournament last year. Uh, and so we are very, very much looking at, um, you know, getting through the beginning part of our season with some great, great teams. But clearly uh, I've got seven seniors. They've, they've all, all they've known has been Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. And so clearly they have very high expectations for the year. Here with Dan Wagner, 16th season as the head coach at Franklin and Marshall for the men's soccer team. Come in with the United Soccer Coaches Poll at number six to start the season. You kick off September 1. Tell us about uh, your opening game. You know, I have to say that uh, we, we open with Cal Lutheran, and I think with the being an, an East Coast team playing against a West Coast team, it's not a team that I know a, a ton about, looking very, very, very much forward to having them in uh, and playing a team that, we, that our college has never played before. Um, but we, we have Cal Luther and Alvernia. Uh, the following weekend, we go down to play uh, W&L, and that will be a rematch for us of the second round of the NCAA tournament uh, last year. So we play them in Randolph uh, on the second weekend. One of the things we like to do on this show is also talk about some of the things you're doing outside of being on the bench, leading your team. And I understand you also direct the FNM Soccer Africa Project. Tell us a little bit about that, will you? Sure. So... Um, Ten years ago, 
I kind of got on my heart that I wanted to get involved with poverty-related issues in Africa and decided to link our program with a community in South Africa. Um, and things kind of started off there. We didn't know where it was going to go. We ended up having a player that passed away in 07 named Chris Campbell. And um, it was the, the first team that we had that really had broken through in the NCAA tournament. And Chris was one of our best players. Uh, and he passed away the, the day before our first season, so or, or the, the day before our first practice in 07. And so we ended up forming a foundation, the CTC 10 Foundation, which um, launched everything with what we started doing in South Africa. Uh, we now have a uh, work cooperatively with them and have a sport for development facility in, um, in a relatively poor area in, uh, on the outskirts of Cape Town. Uh, our team goes back every three years. We have interns that we will send there. I think we've had five or six players now that have, have served there for years as an intern. And we were just there this summer, and it was it's just unbelievable how the people, uh, what's going on at the facility and how the people just kind of keep growing. And, the, and they, they now have replica. They have other facilities that are, that are coming up in South Africa. I think they now have three of them that are, that are there. So it's been pretty awesome. Dan, uh, if you could, what was the tipping point? What was your kickstart to wake up one day and say, hey, I want to help Africa? <laughs> the kickstart was very simple. It was a person who was running around yelling at people a lot named Bono. Uh, watched a Bono interview, started reading some Bono stuff, and kind of felt that I was a, I don't know, I guess just kind of a happy American when, and that was in the middle of the, the AIDS crisis in, South, in, in Africa. Um, but I was living a pretty good life and thinking, you know what, I, I, there's a lot of stuff going on outside of my world that I should be involved with. And, uh, and so for me, that was even more of almost a, a religious side uh, of me and maybe a spiritual side of, of, of that part of me, the non-coaching side, I guess you would say. Um, but the idea of getting involved with poverty was something that very much, uh, in, as well as international travel, things along those lines, was, was things that our professors at the college were very interested in, as well as our administration. And so it just kind of works to bring the whole program connected into it. All right, what is one thing that, as you reflect now on the F&M Soccer Africa Project, and you can look and say, I did this, it's already done, what is that? I would say very little about I have done things. Uh, what I would definitely say is I have stood on shoulders of others that have done unbelievable things. One example is Ryan awesome. McGonigal, who for three years um, lived uh, in, the, in, the, in the township. But what we now have is a, uh, we have a, a turf-lit uh, facility uh, with a classroom. Um, crime rates have dropped within that area by, I think it's 28 29%. The education rate of the, uh, of the local community also has risen. Uh, and so there's just been a whole lot of people that have been involved with that. And it's just great to be able to have our players be able to go experience it uh, right now, our captain from last year, Jeremy Levine, is, is uh, with an organization called Mbutu, uh, which is connected uh, into our, our community there. So it's just great to be able to stay connected to those people uh, and feel like we have a, a second, second home uh, for our players. If people want to learn more about the F&M Soccer Africa Project, can they do that, Coach? They can. Um, CTC10.org. Uh, is is we, we have th that would be our primary foundation. Um, we also have um, a Mandla Edge of Football, 
Um, if you would just uh, Google Mandla Edge of Football, their information would come up. Uh, CTC10 operates the uh, the actual running of the facility of of the facility, like the replacing the the turf, keeping the lights on, that thing, and then um, the other organization uh, is in charge of the programming that happens on top of the field. All right, I want to tell everybody that CTC, so that's Cat Thomas Cat Ten, and then yeah. also it's a Mandla A M A N D L A Edu Football E D U Football Two O's. Football. All right. Well said. Now, I also understand, uh, speaking of family, you, you work, I think, with your brother, Mark, with the uh, tactical team trainers. What's that all about? My brother, uh, who is, is now the former coach at Eastern University, uh, we co-founded uh, tactical team trainers. It started off with a primary focus on working with high school soccer teams, uh, has now expanded into doing some stuff with youth. But the largest offshoot of it uh, includes now Future 500, which is a recruiting-oriented, um, really, really large uh, camp organization that my brother Soli is uh, is running, and has coaches from all over the country that are coming to it, and it's it's really amazing what's happening with uh, Future 500. All right, Mark fun. also, on a side note, was my high school soccer coach. We lived together in our house. He was still living at the. He played at Messiah. And uh, nothing like having coming home with your brother, who was your, your coach. So he was also pretty formative uh, for me as well. Did he push you pretty hard or more than the other players, or did he treat you like any other player? He did. I, I'm still a little mad because there was a time my senior year that he didn't think I was doing something properly and said, looked at the hill and pointed to it and said, run. And I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, you, you can't you can't make me go run, but I had to go do it because that was the that was that. But we got over it. But uh, yeah, he did, and it was it was great being able to have two years with him as my coach, and and then be able to continue with working with him between our camps to him being in the region with uh, being a, being a college coach. It's it's been a great relationship. You also told me uh, before we came on the air that uh, obviously the United Soccer Coaches, formerly the NSCAA, has meant a lot to you as well, including Jeff Tipping. Talk about uh, getting involved in what the organization has meant to you. When I was young, uh, you know, I would say my the biggest influences on me were you know kind of being connected to Messiah. I would say my brother, and then the third was Jeff Tipping, who was my uh, my ODP coach uh, in Pennsylvania, and. He was just an unbelievable coach. I think he he believed in me when I don't know that I believed in myself, and uh, and he was just a great coach. He was a great person, and I just loved Jeff Tipping. Uh, and that's you know from the beginning with with the, the former uh, NSCA uh, organization. I've just I've just really appreciated working with the NSCA. I still now I, I now work with uh, ranking stuff um, for Division Three. Uh, go to the convention every year, was out in L.A. last year, and really appreciate everything that you guys do. What have the diplomats got to do to get to the Final Four this year, Coach? Our big focus for this year has been on being a little bit more methodical in possession. Uh, I think we, we press well. Um, uh, we're a pretty high-energy, high-tempo team. And uh, I think we do that well, but sometimes I think uh, at that higher level, uh, I think we have to be better at keeping the ball. And, uh, and so that's been the focus for, for this week. Uh, so, you know, you kind of take it day by day as we're in the middle of preseason, but that's going to be a big part for us. 
Dan Wagner, the head coach by way of Messiah of the F&M men's soccer team, earning me big points as it's my wife's alma mater as well. Coach, good luck. Could be the year that you do indeed make the Final Four. And here's the deal on the show. We did it last year. Every coach that wins a national championship has to come on this show at the end of the season. So you plan on maybe being a repeat customer? What do you think? Nothing would make me any more happy than that, so that would be wonderful. Great job, Dan Wagner, and thanks for being so gracious about our one and only mistake last week, not getting this interview in. Glad we got it in now, and we wish you all the best with the Diplomats at Franklin and Marshall. Incredible show, a long show, but I hope you enjoyed it. Got to know Team Snap a little bit better, dope headfirst into Division I soccer, especially deep on women's soccer. New member of 30 Under 30 in Kelly Lawrence, and we had a great time doing it. This has been the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap. Thanks to each and every one of you for listening. The NSCAA is now United Soccer Coaches. We aren't changing who we are, just what you call us. Start your free no-risk trial membership today. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join.